0: So, Jesus, we know that you have a word that you want us to hear this morning, and so, Lord, we pray that through your word, uh, you would help us to hear it, to understand it, uh, to obey it, and apply it. Jesus, we pray this in your name, amen. Well, good morning, it is great to be in worship with all of you. And I want to be sure to welcome all of you who are watching online or those of you on the podcast or our middle schoolers and high schoolers at the 11. It is great to have you. Just in case I haven't met you before, my name is Daniel Triller. I'm one of the pastors here. Always love worshiping with you. Well, years ago, an author by the name of Neil Postman wrote a book. It was called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And the book was largely about the dangers of a world filled with constant entertainment and how it was negatively impacting us individually as well as our society as a whole. And you're probably thinking, sure, well, nothing new there. But here's the crazy part. Postman wrote the book in 1985. It was a time long, long ago. (laughs) A time before video games really took off or cable TV was widespread, before everyone had a laptop, iPhone, social media. If only he could see us now. We are amusing ourselves to death now more than ever. During this Advent season, we are doing a sermon series called I Quit, where we're talking about quitting the things that don't do us any good, whether it be spending our time in ways that simply aren't life-giving or doing things that just don't bring us closer to Jesus. And so here's what I wanna quit, or maybe a better way to phrase it is do less of, and that is I wanna quit filling my life with constant distraction and entertainment. And conversely, I wanna use that time or use more of that time to draw closer to God and to others. Now, for those things that distract us or entertain us, there are endless examples here. For sure, all media and technology come to mind, watching TV, being glued to our phones, social media. And admittedly, probably our younger generations struggle with this more than older ones do, but there are all sorts of examples of things that distract us and keep us distant from God. Maybe it's overindulging in our hobbies, maybe it's things like golf or shopping, Or maybe it's just our work or busyness in general. All sorts of things that that distract us and keep us distant from God. And now a couple couple things I want to make clear, just kind of set the tone before we move forward here. This is not and will not be a sermon on the evils and perils of technology and entertainment or a plea to become Amish or something like that. (laughs) No, entertainment is so often good. You know, particularly when it points us to the things that Paul talks about, things that are true or noble or pure or lovely and on and on. And technology is good, too. It's got all sorts of benefits. I mean, how else would we be able to talk to people halfway across the world or get directions when we're on the road? Or how else would we get unsolicited political opinions from our second cousins? There's all sorts of good things, maybe except for that last one, that have helped our world grow and flourish. And secondly, we need to acknowledge that life is hard. And so distractions are necessary from time to time. And we also need to rest and enjoy God's creation. I watched a lot of football this weekend. I'm sure many of you did as well. But yet, with all things in life, there becomes this point where the things that we involve ourselves in move from restful and restorative to just being too much, where it starts to negatively impact our relationship with ourselves. And more particularly, our relationship with God. And so with that said, here's where we're going this morning. We want to first identify, try to identify some of the unhealthy reasons that we keep settling for constant distraction and entertainment. And then afterwards, then we'll look at what Paul has to say to the Philippians about how you and I can find true joy and peace and rest for our souls. And so first, here are the three unhealthy reasons. Maybe think of these as warning signs that something has gone wrong. Reasons why we often settle for constant distraction and entertainment. And I'm sure there are more than three, but here are three for today. And the first two actually come from the CEO of Netflix. He was interviewed and asked what the purpose statement of his company is. And now real briefly here, for those of you who don't know what Netflix is, imagine having Blockbuster from the comforts of your own home where you can just choose any TV show or movie you want right there from your own TV. That's what Netflix is. And now everyone under the age of 18 is now asking, what is Blockbuster? (laughs) Don't worry about it. You didn't miss anything. Anyway, the CEO of Netflix asked to share his company's purpose statement. He said this. Fundamentally, we are about eliminating loneliness and boredom. Fundamentally, we're about eliminating loneliness and boredom. That's kind of scary. His core conviction is that loneliness and boredom can be eliminated through constant distraction and entertainment. So let's go ahead and take the first one, loneliness, which is in fact a real problem. But yet, you and I both know that the idea of binge watching a bunch of shows on Netflix or watching endless YouTube videos—that that's going to cure our sense of loneliness—we know that's a lie. But yet, we keep going back to it, keep going back to it because it's the path of least resistance. And at the end of the day, it's a band-aid at best. When we're feeling lonely, the temptation is always to withdraw. But yet, it's in those very moments that we actually need to pursue. Years ago, I took a personality test that made this really clear to me. For whatever reason, maybe you're with me on this one, I'm usually skeptical of personality tests, you know, things like the Myers-Briggs. I mean, how can you be so sure of who I am through a series of multiple choice questions? I mean, how dare you try and label me? I am so much more than an INFP. (laughs) And then I remember getting the results back from one of these tests, and one of the first things that it said was something something to the extent of, you don't like it when people try and label you. Touche, I'm listening. And it said that I have a tendency to withdraw in the very moments that I need to pursue. I know many of us feel this way. We're all longing for community. We think we we have a tendency to withdraw when we actually need to pursue. Finally, about a year ago, my wife and I decided it was time to take a risk and invite some people to be a part of a short-term small group with us. And I went went into it thinking, I don't think people are going to say yes to this. I want to make this ask as easy as possible. It's only going to be six weeks. We'll only meet for an hour and a half each time. I'll make you dinner. You know, wanting them to say yes. And then I realized at the end of it, as we debriefed with the whole group, was not that I asked too much of these people, but that I asked too little. People enjoyed it. They wished it was longer. Not because of really anything special about my wife and me, but because they too We're longing for community. And a few of us from that group still meet today. You see, many of us have this tendency to withdraw, but it's in those moments, those exact moments, that we need to pursue. Loneliness isn't going to be eliminated through Netflix or something else, but rather the way we know deep down it will be. And that's through real relationships, face-to-face, and even more so through our relationship with Jesus himself. So that's the loneliness part. Let's now take a look at the other part of that Netflix quote. Netflix wants to eliminate boredom. And this part is actually true. It can eliminate boredom for a little while. But the more important question is, is boredom a problem to be solved or an opportunity that we can make something out of? Maybe this is an American thing, but for many of us, we are scared about the possibility of ever being bored. And in fact, we hate boredom so much that many of us would take pain over boredom. And in fact, some of you are thinking, yes, exactly, I know. I, please, somebody pinch me right now. <laughs> There's a team of psychologists. They discovered that two-thirds of men and a quarter of women would rather self-administer electric shocks than sit alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes. Whew. There's been so much depressing news this past year, but that statistic might describe the brokenness of the human condition about as well as anything. The truth is, boredom is an opportunity, though. And while there's nothing wrong with checking our phones while we stand in line or while we eat lunch, the truth is is that we often miss out on opportunities right in front of us. Opportunities to enjoy God's creation or simply connect with him through prayer. And of course, we miss out on real relationships with the people right next to us. And here's a video of what I'm, uh, it's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. And a quick disclaimer, this may hit a little too close to home. I'm not hungry. What's wrong, sweetheart? I miss daddy. I know, no. we all miss him. I miss him more. Oh, no, I miss him the most. I miss him a lot. No, no. I, I, I miss him so much more. hey, everyone shut up. The, this filter makes me look like a cat. <laughs> it's so funny, it's making me cry. <laughs> Maybe that was your experience this Thanksgiving, I hope not. (laughs) An article I read recently makes this claim that real, meaningful conversations with people often take place after the seven-minute mark. That it takes seven uninterrupted minutes of being with someone, working through small talk or sitting in silence or fighting through boredom before real, meaningful conversation takes place. And one of the reasons why we so rarely have meaningful conversations is that we rarely get to that seven-minute mark. We get one or two or three minutes in, check our phones, check our emails, see if there's any updates that have happened in the world. And that, my friends, is why Will Ferrell is so passionate about you and your family having a device-free dinner. He wants you to get to that seven-minute mark. All right, so there's loneliness, boredom. And finally, here's the third, and it's the one that the Netflix CEO doesn't mention, but admittedly is the one that I most recognize in myself. And that is, is I too often look to be entertained and seek out constant distraction because I'm avoiding. I want to avoid and forget about the way that I'm feeling, whether it's a feeling of anxiety or feeling depressed or something else. And in a sense, it's it's a defense mechanism, a way of not having to process or deal with what I'm feeling much in the same way that other people might use alcohol, for example. An example might be you have a frustrating conversation with a coworker, and on your drive home, rather than laying that before the Lord and, and praying about that, you turn on the music and not just turn it on, you turn it up. Just wanting to forget, just wanting to avoid. And so we settle for constant distraction because we're trying to fix this sense of whether it's maybe loneliness or boredom Or maybe it's just avoiding our problems. And so the question becomes at this point, what do we do? We've diagnosed the problem at least to some extent, and so what do we do? What's our move? And this is where Paul comes in. Paul knows that the only way we are going to be able to quit bad habits is by replacing them with new ones. Because we can't just look at our bad habits and say, stop it and expect things to change. Rather, the only way to replace bad habits is by putting new life-giving ones in their place. And so Paul doesn't tell the Philippians to just stop being anxious. No, he calls them to do two things, to pray and to think. First, pray. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so how might it be that we would not be anxious about anything? Well, Paul says pray, that that's the antidote to our anxiety. A guy that I recently met, he for years has had this practice of using a prayer journal, partly to remind him who and what to pray for but it's also a way for him to look into the past and see the way that God has been faithful in his life, either by answering his or other people's prayers or helping him to see the prayers that God answered that he didn't even know to ask. And even more, he uses all sorts of different colored pens to highlight different things, different colors for prayers for himself or prayers on behalf of others, prayers of confession, answered prayers, things that he's heard God say to him. I love that idea. And when I heard him describe this, I thought, I ought to do this too. I want to do this too. And it's worth mentioning that this man is one of the most joyful and peaceful and full of life people that I know. And Paul also says, with thanksgiving, not, before, not after you pray in response to answered prayer, but before you pray. And that by choosing thankfulness, we reflect back on how Jesus has answered our previous prayers or how he gave us what we needed rather than what we asked for or maybe it's a sense of thanksgiving or gratitude that he would even hear our prayers in the first place. Paul says, are you feeling anxious? Pray. He points them to the God who will hear their prayers. And the second thing that Paul tells us to do is to not only pray, but to think. He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And it's easy just to give this verse a quick glance and move on. Yes, we know our thought life matters. But think about this for a second. We need to see just how countercultural this advice is. Because think about what the world would say to you when you're feeling anxious or struggling or feeling depressed. The world tells you not to think that when all of life is falling apart or you're struggling or losing hope the world tells you not to think instead just try some breathing or relaxation exercises try to empty your mind and not think of anything maybe just get out of town and go have some fun or put back a couple drinks or maybe just maybe go sit on the couch turn on netflix and watch a few shows But Paul's advice is just the opposite. He says, are you feeling anxious or troubled or worried or depressed? Think. And what exactly does Paul say we should think about? Sure, we can break this down line by line and think about each individual thing, each of these individual traits, and that all is well and good. But I think part of the force of this verse is that Paul is trying to get us to ask the question, who or what embodies all of these traits? And of course, it's God himself. And I think what Paul is trying to get us to think about is God himself, that we would be reminded of the great truths that we see in scripture and what God has done in Christ. And in many ways, that's what Advent is all about. It's about remembering and reflecting on who God is and that he has given us his son, Jesus. Remembering that the God who came down and dwelt among us will one day come again. Friends, during Advent, we remember that love is not the sentimental stuff of a Hallmark card, but love came down in the person of Jesus Christ. During Advent, we remember that we are a people of hope, that hope that God will come down and return someday. During Advent, we are reminded that we can have real joy and peace, that those things are possible because of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, moving inside of us. Advent is a chance to think and reflect on who God is and what he has done in and through Christ. And so Paul says to pray and to think. And finally, Paul says, put it into practice. That it's one thing to talk about prayer and changing how you think and what you fill your mind with, but of course, it's another thing altogether to actually do something about it. And so like Paul, I want to encourage you to create rhythms in your life where you can actually implement some of this stuff. Maybe it's creating morning or evening routines, things you want to do or prayers you want to pray as you wake up or when you go to sleep. Maybe it's redeeming the time, whether it's during mealtime or commuting to and from work or even if you're just passing the time, standing in line. Maybe you want to set different boundaries with the way you interact with technology or maybe particularly your phone. Maybe it's making just a sm- the smallest kind of decision like having your phone charging in a different room than the room you sleep in. Now, maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, there's no way I'm too busy, I just can't. And here's what I've started to realize in myself when I make this excuse, is that the problem with I'm busy is that we start to believe that we are just passive bystanders whose schedule and life decisions are controlled by someone else. And as I'm realizing, and as I say that I'm realizing, I'm pretty much summing up the experience of every parent, but go with me here for the rest of us. When I say or think that I'm busy, I begin to believe that I can't do anything about it when the truth is absolutely I can. Because when I say if I'm too busy and don't have time, the next question I have to ask of myself is, am I stewarding my time wisely and am I spending it on the right things? Am I spending my time in a way that points to God's kingdom or an earthly one? And I have to be willing to have that gut check moment with myself. And so, friends, what are some of the ways that you can implement some of this into the natural rhythms and routines of your everyday life? How might you be able to redeem the time and use that time to pray and to think and to put it into practice? One thing I do want to point you to is to this invitation to Advent event that's happening later today, led by one of our pastors, Rosalind Renshaw. It's a chance to slow down and breathe and focus on the coming of Jesus into our lives this Advent. It's happening today, 2 o'clock in the sanctuary. Rosalind will be reading some of her prayer poems and there will be some Advent carols playing in the background. So I encourage you to come to that. As Paul says, pray, think, put it into practice. And finally, what does Paul say will happen when we go to God in prayer and think about who he is and what he has done? He says a couple things. First he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then later on he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen it in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that? Not only will we be filled with the peace of God, but then Paul flips it and says that we will be with the God of peace. Not only do we get God's presence, but we get to share in who God is and what he offers. Peace. And I'll finish with this. This past summer, my wife and I, we hiked a large part of the Appalachian Trail. It's a long distance hiking trail that runs from Georgia to Maine. Something that I started years ago, and this past summer, we headed out to finish the section I had never done. And part of the appeal of finishing the trail with my wife was because I had some meaningful experiences out there in the past, and particularly one experience where I really felt the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It was about six years or so ago now, and I was coming out of a particularly difficult season, largely due to a a challenging breakup. And so I decided to head out to the mountains, spend a week alone, hiking long days, putting in long hours, using that time to reflect and pray as I walked along the trail. And I specifically remember praying over and over again that God would heal my heart and give me a hope for the future. I prayed that prayer over and over and over again that He would heal my heart and give me hope for the future. And over the course of the week, I really, really believed that He did. Healing my heart, giving me a renewed sense of hope for the future, as Jesus began to see that, I, or help me see that I am not defined by my past failures. And also help me to trust that he would work through my brokenness, that he would work through some of the challenging moments of my past and work them into something good. And just as Paul said, I felt the peace of God as the God of peace went before me. And it's hard to really explain it beyond that. And I think that's what Paul is getting at when he says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a sense of peace that's hard to put into words, but you know it when you see it. Or better yet, you know it when you feel it. And sure, I wouldn't recommend to all of us that we would spend a week out in the mountains alone, but it was the right choice for me at the right time. And I encourage all of you to discern what might be the right setting and rhythms for you to connect with Jesus. As we wrap things up, remember this, as we go before Jesus in prayer, and as we think and reflect on who God is and what he has done in and through Christ, Paul says that the peace of God will guard our minds and hearts and that the God of peace will be with us. And friends, that is good, good news for lonely, weary, anxious hearts. Now, as always, we'll close with prayer, but we'll do something a little bit different this morning. I'll lead us through a short prayer and leave some space in between, opportunities for you to pray in silence to God, and I'll give you some prompts as we go. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to be filled with your presence. Jesus, we want to be people who experience real joy and peace. And God, to you we say, wow. For you are true and noble and right and pure and lovely. And so God, here we want to say, wow. And just be in awe of you for who you are and what you have done. Jesus, we also want to ask for help, for in your word it says, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present our request to you, Lord. And so, God, we want to do just that. Here are some of the things that we want to ask help with, things that we are personally needing help with, and things that our family or friends or the world need help with. And finally, Jesus, we want to continue this season of Thanksgiving and say thank you. Whether it be for gratitude or whether it be gratitude for the way that you've worked in our past or the things that you've currently blessed us with, Jesus, here is what we want to say thank you for. Jesus, we give all of these prayers to you. Amen.